everybody. Welcome to Oscar Poker. This is Sasha Stone with Awards Daily. And Jeffrey Wells of Hollywood Elsewhere is sitting inside the Wilton Library with a really beautiful snowstorm starting to happen outside. Very, ah. very pretty. The best one I've seen in a long time. And you can always tell snow is really happening in a good way when the flakes are fairly small. In other words, they're not large and damp because those are the kind that just melt when they hit the ground. This is the kind that sticks if it keeps going. So let's hope. And it's nice and cold, too, 27 degrees or whatever. So. Yeah, well, there's a huge snowstorm in Ohio and in Iowa uh, and all these other places. So hopefully you'll get a nice thick layer. By the way, speaking of Ohio, did you see that video that I sent of David Bowie? I didn't look at it. I saw that you sent it, but I did not. Uh, he's, I did not. He's, he's just recalling. He's sitting at a desk and recalling uh, one of his tours. I think it was in 89 or thereabouts. And they were in Cincinnati doing a show at a big you know, stadium. And he says, and I said to the crowd, I went up to the mic. And I said to the crowd, it's great to be in Cincinnati. And I was lying. Oh, dear. <laughs> It's funny because the way he says it. Just it was so. not great to be in Cincinnati. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> I would say oh. probably the same thing about Cleveland. But then again, you have been there recently and I have never been there. Uh, mm. So uh, you kind of liked it. At least you like the suburbs, right? I like Ohio because my daughter lives there. See, um, I'm talking specifically where, where she lives, which is outside Cleveland. That's why I'm asking you about the suburbs. Well, no, she lives in a, um, she lives in a, um, Lakewood is, is a little bit different from Cleveland. It's, it's, it is an, it's a, a suburb. suburb. It's a suburb, but it's, you know, it's, it's more like, uh, it's sort of like the Austin, Texas of the area. You know what I mean? Like it's a really nice. Oh, enclave. it's a hip town. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's nice. That's good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's um. Good. But I look on the map, but it's not that far. It's like, it looks like it's about a 20 minute drive to the west, and it's on the the lake, of course. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you, part of our condition or, or doing our chat today is that you asked me, requested, and I obliged is to see the 2008 Diane English film called <laughs> The Women, which is a remake of George Cukor's The Women. Uh, which is a pretty big deal, pretty big hit in 1939. And um, so I watched it and um, watched the trailer afterwards and thought about it and read the synopsis and just to be clear on all the things. And I will say your point to me is, still is, that the climate, the cultural climate of 2008 is so far gone from where we are now in 24 that it's like almost what comical satirical there's no there's no comparison that world is so far off the off the charts uh the way people think of themselves the culturally even though diane english the director and writer does a lot to kind of be as hip as she can or and inclusive as she can she has mm. uh you know woman of color um, uh, 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 jada pickett smith playing a gay woman and her girlfriend uh and there's So they work that in. So basically, it's not like they're trying to be um, uh, insensitive or, 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 you know, they're trying to do the same thing that everybody's doing today, which is to be reflective and and as uh, inclusive as as possible. Just things were different then and things had only gotten to a certain point. So what's your take on it? Does anybody remember? I wonder if the people listening, does anybody even remember? Because I, I frankly had forgotten it completely. Um, it's not a bad film. It's just that it's very kind of um, farcical. You know, everybody's kind of on, on mescaline. Everybody's kind of pumped up, you know, that certain energy that you want when you want to do a comedy. And we should remind people that Diane English was the big um, auteur behind Murphy Brown, which is a very big uh, right, you know, sitcom back in the aughts, and I think it's also interesting, by the way, that she gives the best scene to her to Candace Bergen when she has that talk with um, Meg Ryan about what it feels like when you realize you've been betrayed by a long time, uh-huh. yeah, by her husband. That that's so, the best dialogue in the whole thing. 
Well, I didn't mind it. I just, it was like traveling back in time is what it was. And I always, you know, it's one of the changes in society I never thought that I would see. I mean, if you think about predicting the future and you predict how society is going to go, you know, it has to change because obviously, you know, if you watch, say, um, you know, an unmarried woman, Jill Clayburgh or whatever, or Kramer versus Kramer, like you can watch movies from the past and you can watch them and say, well, things are so obviously different than they were then. Right. 78 so, uh, was unmarried women necess- and that's a joke. Go ahead. And 79 was Kramer versus Kramer, right? So right. that that was all first wave feminism, okay? So first mm-hmm. wave feminism was the idea, the post Roe v. Wade, Gloria Steinem, have an abortion, have a career life, right? I'm an independent woman. I'm a career woman. I'm going to chase my own satisfaction. I'm not going to be someone who serves children or my husband or the mm. community i'm going to be a you're talking self- about Meryl Streep's character and all all, all of first wave feminism the whole right. message of right. first wave feminism or maybe mm. it's called second wave feminism i don't know i get them confused maybe first well, wave feminism began in atlantic city in 1969 no right? no but there's or, a or, or do you there mean, was or do you mean the betty friedan early early version of feminism yeah exactly i think that's considered suffragette and all that's for first wave maybe second wave is the uh the gloria steinem version maybe i don't know i'm not really well versed on that feminist literature stuff but i never took women's studies for instance in college but uh but the the thing is is that you saw how society was starting to have a kind in my opinion a sort of a backlash against feminism in some of the movies you saw that in annie hall you saw that in Kramer versus Kramer. You saw that in Network. You saw a critique of this sort of self-serving woman as being ultimately an unhappy person, right? Someone who mm-hmm. can do all these things, but you know, ultimately it leads to an empty life. Like Faye Dunaway in Network is a perfect example of that. And you'd never see the same kind of critique now in mainstream Hollywood against the social justice. Uh, I hear what you're saying about the Faye Dunaway character, but I got to tell you, every time I watch Network, and I've watched it maybe 15 times or so, I always enjoy her company every step of the way. She's really, even when, she, when she's cracking up at the end and she's desperate. And no, I'm not saying a, she's a bad character. I'm saying that her character. She's fun. She's she, fun yeah, but her out. character isn't happy. Her character is like when, when well, uh, William Holden dresses her down at the end and says, mm-hmm. you want me. You need yeah. me. That's such a great scene. I love that. Such mm-hmm. great writing. He's mm-hmm. like, yes, you do. You need me so that when I leave, you know, you won't have that empty feeling inside or whatever he says to her. Like, that's my favorite scene in the movie. But but I'm just saying there was a critique against feminism that they could make fun of it. They could mock it in a way like that party at the in L.A. and Annie Hall, you know, Um mm-hmm. It was okay to mock and make fun of feminists and in a way that it isn't now. But so that was the old days. Um, Diane English uh, and all the women of my generation, the Hillary, let's call them the Hillary voter, mm-hmm. your average Hillary voter, um, came out of that era chasing our own happiness and our own empowerment, our own fulfillment. And I call it the feminist lie that I lived, the feminist lie, which is that if you do all of these things, if you get a career, if you put off having kids, if you if you don't get married, if you serve yourself, you're going to be happy at the end of it. And it is 100 percent false. It is not true. There is no such thing as uh, happiness that can be pursued and gotten. Happiness is a momentary uh, state of mind that you have now and again. But it's not like you can you can say I am a ha- I am unless you take drugs unless you take uh, antidepressants <laughs> then you can be in a permanent state of bliss. It's funny. Um, but anyway, so that's where Diane English was when she's making this movie, right? And that's what the women is all about, cringingly so. Like it it makes my eyes water with embarrassment looking at it now, because at the time that's just what we thought. That was how we all thought, right? Chasing our own empowerment, watching Oprah doing yoga, you know, you can see that um, they're kind of against plastic surgery, but maybe they're for plastic surgery. Like it's okay to get a facelift. It's okay not to get a facelift. It's okay to be married and have kids. It's okay not to be married and have kids. But essentially what you're looking at is women at the top of their game, very successful, um, who are, you know, 
finding their own way toward fulfillment and happiness, career, you know, whatever it is. And um, and what happened to that movement is it got completely uh, destroyed by the woke revolution, which said this is white feminism. We reject this. You know, how dare you see your rights as being important, more important than a woman of color, a trans woman, a, you know, poor woman of color. Like everything was about race and everything was about being oppressed. And women like that, as we saw when that movie Suffragette came out, women like that were told to shut up and sit down. And, you know, after Suffragette came out? Oh, you don't remember that? They have to well, I saw it. I, I saw it in, um, in, in Telluride, and I had a nice uh, kind of chat with the director, who I really admired, and Meryl Streep was in it, and Carrie Mulligan. I thought it was a great little film. I know, I, but I love that I, film. I, I, we're having this conversation again that we've had before, which is it doesn't matter what Jeff Wells thinks. I'm talking about what happened matter. to the movie. Yeah. What happened to the movie? The movie was... No, no, yeah, the movie just went away. I understand that. Yeah. It was destroyed because um, Meryl Streep wore a T-shirt that said, um, you know, I'd rather be a something than a slave. I can't remember what it was, but she got in all this trouble. The movie got zero Oscar nominations. It should have. Um, it was unfair. She was, even Karen though it was, was written and that. produced and directed by women. Here's why. Because it was white women. It's called white feminism. And my daughter knows all about that because mm-hmm. at her woke school that she was going to, you know, that was it. Like, you couldn't be a feminist. The, the whole thing in the women, that movie, The Women... That is sort of the absolute epitome of what they would call white feminism, that movie. And it's so hilarious because Eva Mendez is the, is that her name, Eva Mendez? Yes, she's the one she's who's having the, the affair with the husband. Yeah. She plays Crystal Allen, who's like famous from the old play. I don't know if you remember the original women uh, the, from the so 1930s. Once, and I remember one thing about the 1939 version is that there's a color portion, right? It goes in a color for a very brief uh is well, that just I a fashion show? Or huh? I don't remember that part actually. But uh, yeah, um, it was one of the, kind of a standout. I mean, it was a black and white film, but they went to color. I forget, maybe it's a fashion show or some kind of party or something. But it was like, oh, this is interesting. It's in color for a bit. Anyway, I remember the. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember the uh, jungle red. Like that's the only thing that stands out. And I, I bet that at the end of that movie, the original one from the 1930s, um, I don't remember it well enough to know. But I will bet you anything that she gets her husband back and they have a happy marriage, as opposed well, that's to the, the values of 1939, of course. Yeah, in, in and the, your, your 2008 version, everybody is swimming in affluence and doing pretty well. And maybe there's <laughs> God, a couple. I'll of, say. Uh, couple of setbacks but it's all about flush incomes and flush lifestyles it's completely you know it's like a nancy myers film obviously. no exactly that's what's hilarious yeah. about it is the activists would would savage that movie because here you have meg ryan right complaining about her life living in this literal mansion it's huge with servants and in the yeah. spoiled brat of a daughter and then she's yep. got like crystal allen who's like sharing who's like a poor woman of color <laughs> like... well not you know eva mendes is a really foxy you know woman oh no she's tan. she's like she's as hot as you could possibly imagine but in today in the parlance of today she would be they would categorize her as a, a oppressed working woman of color you know being swarmed by these wealthy evil white women <laughs> yeah so I just thought all of that was so funny because what I love about this movie at this moment in time is that it's so unaware of what's about to happen to it. Like this well, is two. Th- we're not aware of what's going to happen to us. Exactly. Ahead. But this is 2008. So so it comes out in 2008, the same year the iPhone is out. So there's no iPhone. Well, 07 actually. Technically. No, I know, but it comes out in 08. They made it in 07. You know, I'm just saying like that was the era that this because she's not there's nobody has an iPhone. They have Blackberries. Right. Yeah, right. And then so there's no social media. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There's no surveillance society wherein Eva Mendes could film uh, the tirade at her by Annette Benning and Deborah Messing and put it on Twitter. <laughs> and. Ru- <laughs> That'd be funny, actually. 
and ruin their lives, you know, like, oh my God. So that's not in there. I mean, it's it's one of those movies that sits right at the moment between, you know, the internet being invented and then social media and how it changed it and um, and how different people act now, knowing that they're just being watched all the time and that uh, and that they, they talk to each other instantly and they find out news instantly. For instance, the whole plot with the affair and all that, that wouldn't happen in the era of social media, right? Or Instagram or anything like that. Like people would be able to to track her and find her and investigate her and stalk her and know who she's sleeping with, right? Um, that's what that I mean. Like, like the, it's just... um, it reminded me of the kind of the backstage, the, the, the secret affair that Jack Nicholson's character in Heartburn, the really good Mike Nichols film. Uh, you know, you don't ever see the other woman, but you know, he's that's his betrayal of Meryl Streep. Do you remember seeing that? Have you? Do you oh yeah, that? sure, of course. Excellent film, I think. Very yeah, very nice I, I do too. I, I love um, I love her and I love him. So of course I would watch it. Okay. Um, it isn't one of the movies that I tend to watch over and over again. Um, it, it, although I should go back and revisit it because I'm kind of going through a um, Nora Ephron. Mm. Uh, reappreciation because mm. i i've always loved her but lately in the era of completely destroyed and collapsed art uh-huh. right. and you know you go back and watch when harry met sally and it's so funny like the scene mm-hmm. where you know he he tells her the joke of going to an ethiopian restaurant and you have two empty plates or whatever like and you know you just look at that and you just know it's not a joke that would be allowed today and you know there was just such a, a freedom of and and we didn't even think that back then we didn't even think that and we had no idea what was about to happen yeah i know all right. Well, I I um I also wanted to um basically ask you something. Just uh, just a, a little side diversion here. You said that basically white feminism is is completely frowned upon by today's culture, and I thought I was under the impression that white women were uh you know kind of as they are very strong reflectors of the whole white guilt thing, and they completely. Uh, are invested yeah. in the idea that we're bad people and we got to somehow atone and therefore we have people of our ethnic background and European backgrounds have to kind of take a back seat and let people uh-huh. of, of color, you know, have their moment. And we just got to, you know, just accept our guilt and let it happen. So aren't they that, isn't that what more or less white women are about these days? I mean, educated, upscale white women. Well, you know? I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, the, uh, whim- because I lived it, right. I'm right in there. I'm one of those women. I'm one of those sad women, right. The, mm-hmm. the, the, we were, you know, we were in the nineties, we were going to therapy and we were, you know, watching Oprah and we were doing yoga and we wanted to be good citizens of the country. And then we had our kids and we were helicopter parents and we were using organic diapers and, you know, non-GMO, non-pesticide, organic food for our kids. We were, you know, reading them Shakespeare when they were toddlers. We were getting them into the best schools. You know, we were doing yoga. We were, you know, putting anti-aging stuff on our face. We were happy and happy relationships are trying to be. And, you know, we were at the center of the world. We were changing the world, making it a better place. We were voting for Obama. He was our he was our yeah. new leader in 2008. Hope and change. It was a new world. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then and then um, and then in about we were talking about this yesterday, you and I right around to 2012 and Obama's second term, this idea that there were racists in the country and that racism was a poison that was running through society. And as pointed out by somebody somewhere, which is that we came the closest we've come to not being a racist country. We had a black president being voted in for his mm-hmm. second term and a, and a first, a beloved black first family. And at that was the moment when all of a sudden racism came roaring back. And we, we don't have to get into the politics of why I know, I think I know why, but we can just leave that aside for a minute and keep it on culture. So this idea of critical theory right around 2012 and 2013, it went into high schools, my daughter's high school being one of them. 
And well, you're more attuned to it because of what your daughter was going through. And I've said to you, also, I'll repeat just for the sake of the podcast, I don't, I wasn't even aware of that kind of shit happening until uh, black dudes started using woke around the term woke in 2015. And then yeah. it became a white term in 2016. Right, like right. 17. I, I'm not talking about the word woke because I didn't know about the word either. Remember when I was writing about uh, the Oscars from a place of race and gender? And that's I was like a quote unquote woke blogger. We didn't call it that then. We didn't call it critical theory either. I just knew what was happening. I could sense it. That's 2013 is when Oscar so white hashtag hit Twitter. And it was. I thought it was was more of a 2014. Well, I'll take your word for it. But I'm assuming Spike Lee said in so many words the reason that um, Moonlight won is because it was that he wanted to counter a balance or, or say no to the Oscar so white thing. I that know wasn't... we're not there yet, Jeff. You're interrupting me. I'm sorry, but that's not we're not there yet. We're still in the beginning stages. I'm trying to explain the trajectory of how how we got to where we are now. You're saying so, Oscar so white began in what year, roughly? When that hashtag came out was what year, roughly? Um. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure it was right around 2013. Let me look. I'll look it up. Um, So basically what happened was I had already been writing from race and gender on my side because 2011 was when Viola Davis was up and like half my readers left my site because they were so mad at me for pushing Viola Davis. So I was all about race and race. They were mad at you because you what? You mean the help you're talking about? Just be specific. Hello? I don't know what you're asking. What? You're Can saying you... you were pushing Viola Davis for what is what I'm asking you. For the help. In what? To win. Okay, to win. say the words help. Okay, got it. Okay. I'm just saying that okay. that, you know, these things, this this all happened in a wave. I was already on this thing way before the Oscar So White hashtag. The reason there was an Oscar So White hashtag is that the year before, all the nominees were white. And so that started the Oscars So White hashtag. And and it that was what embarrassed Hollywood to change. Because um in you know, oh no, you're right, it was 2015, it looks like. Rain created the Twitter hashtag Oscars So White in 2015 to call attention to inequality in Hollywood and lack of representation at the 87th. Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So that's 2015 Oscars So White. And that's because all the nominees uh, were white, I think, the acting nominees. And so. Even though 12 Years a Slave had been the Oscar winner. Even the year though, before. exactly. And even right. though we had, mm-hmm. you know, um, 12 Years a Slave had just won. This is before Moonlight. But that year that she's talking about, that was the Birdman year. And so Birdman was winning, but people were thinking Alejandro Inarritu um, was Mexican and that it was a person of color winning. The uh, people don't see it that way. They they consider him white. Um, but if you look that year at all the nominees, every single acting nominee is white in every category. Uh, Steve Carell, Bradley Cooper, Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Keaton, Marion Cotillard, Felicity Jones, Rosamund Pike, Reese Witherspoon. Laura Dern, Kira Knightley, Emma Stone, Meryl Streep, Robert Duvall, Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton. Okay, Mark- no, the, the question should be, which actors of color were they overlooking in an unfair way? What was Who was well, being overlooked? I would have to go back and look, but that was also the year, we should say, that mm-hmm. Selma, Selma got in for Best Picture, and I had already been strongly advocating for Ava DuVernay for years before that. Okay. Right. And so for Selma, I really, really went to bat for that movie and it did manage to get in with a Best Picture nomination. Okay. Right. Selma. And, and, the, and lying about LBJ, making that up out of whole cloth. That was cool. Right. But the guy starring in Selma didn't get a nomination. Right. So I'm saying that. David Oyelowo. Right. Yes. Correct. Yeah. All right, so so here we are, 2013, 2014, 2015. We're we're really getting into the sort of the the rise of Black Lives Matter was starting around this time too, and critical theory was on campuses. My daughter was completely immersed in the woke ideology already, right around 2015 at her college. I mean, at her high school, 
And um, and I heard I, I would hear her tell me things and I would think, God, it sounds like a cult, man. And I would laugh about it with her and I helped her to see it more critically instead of getting caught up in it. I think that actually helped her to resist. And so she's not this crazy indoctrinated zombie now. Thank God. But because um, all you need is a little bit of critical thinking to get yourself out of that. Um, and then we should just, you know, if you take all of that energy and then you have Donald Trump winning in 2016, the people perceive him as a racist and his movement as racist. It's like mm. the devil riding into Salem. It caused mass hysteria of epic proportions. And so we're talking about feminism. We're not talking about Trump. So what that did to feminism was mm. it took that Diane English version of white feminists and it turned them into the enemies but now you had all these women with all this power and all this money all this voting power in the democratic party and you had the march the pussy hat march after hillary lost that was the last gasp of feminism before the trans thing completely swallowed it up and then we get to where like they have these you know, if you read the signs from that pussy march, you know, grab him by the pussy, whatever it is, it's all very feminist centric, women centric. But then it wouldn't be too long after that, that you wouldn't even be allowed to say things without being inclusive, right? Pregnant men, right? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, trans men in sports, trans men in playing chess you know beauty queens who were trans men the feminists the women who'd been chasing all this empowerment right all this importance it just went away boom gone mm -mm. because now they have to be step back they have to step back to women of color because of intersect you know because black women of color trans women of color all that matters wait that they're all put to the very bottom of the pile these women that's why watching the women is so surreal and so funny because you would never see that today. Mm. And it mm. does it wasn't even that long ago, but things have changed so much that all of that feminism in that movie is now considered um in poor taste, verboten, white feminism, you know, these rich women whining about their problems like it would be savaged by like for instance David Ehrlich and Justin Chang. So we've done the feminist thing. We've done the women thing. I don't know if anybody's even mildly interested in that conversation we just had, but I guess maybe we can now move on to the Oscars, right? We can talk about the Oscar race. So speaking of Oscars, let me just do another look back. I just did this uh, last night and basically <clears throat> I just happened to come across Harrison Ford uh, announcing the best director Oscar for, I think it was 02. And it was Polanski, of course, for the um, for pianist. The pianist. Mm. pianist which is uh, by the way being re-released by a uh it's going to be in new york soon as a, a sometime in february and that i, I took that to mean that you know <clears throat> re-releasing a, a polanski film theatrically is a kind of a sign of something not changing that maybe there's not such a knee-jerk thing but of course when i mentioned it i was only mentioning it because i thought oh look at, look at all these people standing and applauding the win, and that would include Martin Scorsese, yeah. <laughs> Jack Nicholson, Nicholas Cage, all everyone, you know, Stephen Daltrey, all the, uh, you know, a, a good half of the audience. Now, everybody knew that, of course, Polanski had baggage and and the whole 1977's uh, rape thing on him. So not everybody stood and applauded, but a lot of people did. People mm. of respect, people of, and I, I brought it up because I thought, well, look, I mean, these people, uh, Nicholson, Scorsese, you know, they're obviously 20 years older, but they're more or less the same people in terms of their acumen, their their perceptions, their values. And yet, you know, you're, you can't acknowledge or say, say anything about Plansky now, at least in, in any sort of public way. And people, the same old pitchfork thing descended upon, you know, in the comments section, you know, just they just will not give it up this is i know this is a, a very familiar and, and overly discussed thing but just samantha geimer could could 
could take out daily videos and say, leave it, just drop it, please. I was there. I, I've been through it. My whole life has been defined by this one fucking episode. Drop it. Let it go. Move on. And people, they don't give a shit at all. They still want to keep doing this. And and I'm also mentioning it because um, I happened to get a illegal copy of Polanski's latest film, which is called The Palace, I shot in Switzerland. And that is something I started to watch last night. And I can see why there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm yeah. for that film at Venice. Anyway, it's it's I can finally watch it, which is good. All right, well, anyway. It's, uh, it's weird that we've moved into this era of, you know, bad behavior uh, and judgment overriding art. But we have every one of your commenters lives in this world. Um, well, maybe there are a few that don't. but. Um, but yeah, it's odd that we used to be the side that stood up for, you know, art at any cost and and it didn't matter if people were Lenny Bruce or whatever if they were badly behaved as long as you know, um they were talented. Yeah. That's what we liked, right. but that that has changed. We've become puritans on the mm-hmm. left now and everybody has to be well behaved and you know, we're it's so funny. It's so like the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me so much of that, you know, that era of real, like, utopian living and artificiality, but underneath it, a current of paranoia and suspicion where everybody could be out, called out as, like, a bad a communist or, you know, today it would be a racist or a f- transphobe or, yeah. a, you know, a bigot. Or a libertine so, or a drug user or whatever. There's a there's a recent thing that uh, Paul Strader posted on Facebook. It's about a variety series that is about basically bad people who have done bad things and of course don simpson who died in 96 and who paul schrader knew pretty well and uh, did coke with and did you know all the all the bad boys during their bad boy period of the 80s late 70s and he said it's it's funny to read about simpson who i knew really well and i to see him but read about his life and who he was only from the prism of bad person, drugs, yeah. um, hookers, all that stuff, and not any of the other stuff. Purely bad person. And that's what Variety is about these days, doing this kind of... That's so you know, nuts. So, you know what's even weirder? Rolling Stone is doing that. Like, Rolling Stone, right? It used to be the epicenter of wild living, right? And and here we are. Rolling Stone is like the most puritanical outlet that exists. Um, but what's, what's funny about... Every they, every headline of theirs, every single one, okay. like there there isn't even any. The, if if there is some, they basically like become Jezebel. I know <laughs> that's what they are. I, I'm just every time I see a headline, I'm just like, I cannot believe that's Rolling Stone. I cannot believe yeah. it that they're pandering to these like anal retentive woke activists is so wild to me. It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around it and also they don't care about doing drugs and stuff what they care about is quote-unquote abuse of women that's what yeah. it what bothers them and that if that's in there then the person is bad and evil the drugs they'll forgive that mm-hmm. but if there's a sex crime involved then yeah that that that's a witch a modern day witch yep. for you right and i can say personally that having known Simpson uh, moderately, not really well, but moderately well, because there's a lot of phone calls. He would call me during his uh, dry outs at the Canyon Ranch in Arizona. He would go to oh, you know, wow. clean himself out. And he would, I remember talking to him as he was kind of breathing heavily as he was hiking up hills. And it was, it was really kind of a fat, he was a very, I mean, whatever substances he had in his bloodstream, he was a very sharp, dude and he really didn't miss a trick and i thought he was one of the smarter more fascinating fellows to to know and talk to and you know trade notes with and he was very candid i really liked him i really liked him it was a shame that he was he just didn't have any discipline seemingly but i and i wasn't at all surprised when suddenly he was gone right before sundance incidentally right right as sundance was happening actually i was up in park city and i heard about it and well, that very uh, day we went. Go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. And that very day we all went to the um, uh, to the opening press conference, which used to be a uh, a regular thing up at the uh, Sundance Ski Lodge. And Redford would come in 
always late, about 15, 20 minutes, and he would do a kind of a, well, here we are again, and here's what we're doing, and here's what this year's slate is about, and let's talk about, you know, he and Jeff Gilmore would just sit there and, and, and shoot the shit. It was a lot of fun, because we would go there and, and, and talk to him and have Q&A, a relatively small um, audience, and then afterwards, there would be this huge, massive brunch with great food that everybody would go to and and again redford and gilmore and all the everybody else was there it was a lot of, a very cool thing but i remember that very morning it was fresh news about simpson and after the q a stopped and everybody was breaking for the brunch i went up to, to redford and i said bob do you, do you have anything any recollections or did you have any contact with uh, don simpson and he just kind of said well you know i kind of knew he you know read, ran into each other but nothing to why are you asking i said he's dead and he God. didn't know that. And that was like, okay, thank you for telling me. Anyway. Well, I, you know, I, now that I'm an old person, I see what the whole generations theory and generations ideas are about. Like, I, I never really lived, you know, I was a young Generation X. I was coming mm. up behind the boomers. And so I always just kind of assumed that the boomers would always be, like, that's what life would always be, what the boomers were. And um, and then, no, that's not the case. The millennials have become the much more influential generation and behind them, Generation Z. And watching the, how these generations and how my generation that raised Generation Z has affected our world. Like we ra- tried to raise good people, good Puritans. And, um, and it, you know, never offend anyone, never be a bully, always be nice, always be. And all of that has led to this utopian existence on the left that um that has destroyed you know the things that that the boomers created that were so valuable when they were the counterculture so mm-hmm. what happened what happened to the left is that we swapped right it used to be growing up we've talked about this before that bill clinton had what they called bad character on the right the right said character matters they they would criticize murphy brown they criticized bill clinton for being cheating on his wife and all of us on the left excused it and dismissed it and just said, you know, you know, that's, that's just, you know, forget it. You know, we don't want to hear what you have to say. That's conservative. That's, that's too oppressive. It is and, too oppressive. Getting a blowjob in the, in the overall. Yeah, so I know. What? But then it, so what? And then it switched because of Trump. It switched because Trump was now the bad guy and now character matters on the right because I would of never Obama. Give a damn if, if if Trump had had sex in the Oval, I wouldn't give a shit about that. I know, ever. I know, I know. But that, again, you're always saying, thinking that Jeff Wells is the world. And what am I supposed to do? And disappear and not be a person? Just no, be I'm just a, saying kind of a... that you're, you're separate from what I'm talking. I'm talking about an okay. entire movement that has changed everything that you didn't have anything to do with. Neither did I. We're just observers standing in horror on the outside watching it. <laughs> because Obama was a good person with character. And mm-hmm. Trump was the bad person. The two sides switch. So now you have the right, I mean, the left policing art the way that the right used to do, policing different things. And right. unfortunately, back then, we had a defiant left that would say, you know, what we need now are all of these, like, I'm sorry to have to say it, but these alpha male producer types who chased high box office and chased success. And that made a great Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, no, it wasn't fair. Yes, it was too white and all that. But it's made a much better Hollywood than what we have now. It's like the the rough and tumble of struggle and conflict. You know, it's like the, uh, you know, the more uh, pressure that the coal is is, is, is subjected to, the, the, the finer the diamonds that come yeah. out. That's, mm. Yeah. And, and when they... When they were all competing with each other to be number one at the box office, you know, to have the biggest stars and to have the biggest hits, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that created, you know, maybe they weren't all winners, but it was a healthy, fertile atmosphere. It was a thriving industry. Now, what is it? Mm -hmm. You look at what the Oscars have become. You look at their like inclusivity mandates and Mm -hmm. how some films opted out of even competing for best picture so as not to have to go into that happened to speak to about the best actress thing <clears throat> pretty much i'm not talking about 90 percent. i mean 98 percent, 97 percent of the people that i speak to they all say 
that you're, when you're comparing Lily Gladstone's uh, performance in Killers of the Flower Moon to Emma's uh, in uh, in Poor Things, there's absolutely no comparison. There's no comparison between the two. Obviously, Emma owns that Oscar, that you know distinction of being having given one of the one of the more fascinating performances and really something that is a turn on and just and it's funny and it's and it's also solemn and it's feminist and it's the whole thing and yet uh when you talk to hard odds you know people that know the game like you it's forget it not a chance it's going to be lily 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 Right? Is that, I mean, has that changed at all? Why is it that everybody says she literally just doesn't measure up? She, you know, she does well. She, she, she's not a bad actress or anything. She does reasonably well. But the, the scope, the depth, the, the intensity, the fascination of the performance isn't even close to what Emma Stone does. And yet, there's this, forget it, not going to happen. They want the rapture. Uh, you know, it's the elevation of Native Americans. It's the distinction of the first Native American ever to win a major Oscar. You know, that's it. That's all that matters. Um, I watched mm-hmm. Killers of the Flower Moon again. I, I, I watched it yesterday or the day before. I finally finished it again. And um, and she's she is her performance is strong enough, I think, to justify winning this. I don't think it's the best performance of the year from a female. I think that belongs to Carrie Mulligan and Maestro, frankly. But I think that, um, you know, my favorite actresses' performances this year, Carrie Mulligan, Fantasia Barino in The Color Purple, who I thought was just great. I really liked her, and she's not getting in, and she's really good. You don't and I like liked, Emma, though. No, I do like Emma. She's absolutely amazing. She's a, It is a genius performance. But unfortunately, because the movie's so focused on sex and her sexual pleasure, I think it it dampens the rest of it, the the better part of the the story, which is her awakening just on a you know spiritual intellectual level, which is fantastic. I think his focusing on the reminded me of blue is the warmest color. Like it was just a little bit much. Like, do we really need that scene there, Yorgos? And that scene and that scene, you know, like a, a little repetitive. Not necessary. And so I think it upstaged her work. When when someone when the sex is so much a central part of the, the performance, it's a little bit harder to separate it out and just see it as a performance because everybody's thinking about the sex. Um she's great. She's great in it. Fantastic. Iconic. You know, this is a this is a performance that people are gonna be they're already dressing up as her on TikTok. And performing her like so this is going to be a performance for all time. People will remember it forever, just like they'll remember Tar. Uh, Kath- Can you then explain to me why I'm sure you talk to people and you hear why do you think there's such a disparity between what people the, the high esteem that the people hold either Emma's performance or Carrie Mulligan's performance, which I think is wonderful. Also, why is there such a disparity between the esteem that is being given to these performances and the predictions by the people who are, you know, the sage uh, watchers and calculators? They all say, forget it. It's just strictly a, a Lily thing. What What is the thing? What is that exactly? Because um, nobody really believes that she's any, that she's doing a, a great thing acting. Well, I, I think does. that you're, I think you're wrong about that, Jeff. You can't say nobody. Are you chuckling when you say Three that? or four people. Say? Because nobody in Jeff's world is three or four people that you've talked to that agree with you. But most people do don't three agree or four with people? you. How do you know it's not 30 or 40? How do you know? Because if it was, Emma Stone would be winning more awards. I don't, oh, I don't well, get okay. that everybody. Okay. Like last year, for instance, Kate Blanchett, she was mm-hmm. someone who was winning everything, and that was obvious that everybody thought she was the one. Um, that was different from this year. This year, I'm not getting the vibe that everybody thinks Emma Stone is the one. Like I just don't but get that vibe. Just look at the performance. Just look at it. Yeah, That's you. That's you and a couple of other people, and some critics here and there. I haven't heard a lot like I did with Kate Blanchett last year. That's for sure. It's not as much of a consensus because there's competition. But the thing about Lily Gladstone is, um, this is why I was able to predict this, by the way, months ago. Okay, months ago, way before anybody ever predicted Lily Gladstone, I said. Everybody had her in supporting. I said, she's going to be in lead and she's going to win. 
because of the moment in history we're living through. That's what it's about. It's not about the performance. It's about our uh, reckoning with our past, right? It's about that. It's about the industry's reckoning. It's about the rich people, rich white liberals, the whole purse people we talked about, the people who started the women, all those people, right? It's them. Now, I will say we should talk about this because Francis Fisher is back out there. And Francis Fisher is pushing for Ingenue Ellis Taylor in origin. You actually think that's going to happen? And she's getting all of her celebrity friends in on it. And okay. it is their own version of the rapture. Like she's not getting behind Lily Gladstone. Okay. Right. She's behind. And by the way, as I was, <laughs> as I was researching her, I found out she <laughs> she's a Marianne Williamson supporter. So uh, that's kind of funny, but, um, but she, uh, she's pushing ingenue. I don't know if it'll happen, but I thought it would be hilarious if she pushed accidentally pushed out Lily Gladstone. <laughs> Oh, that will never happen. Oh, God. It'll never happen, but it would be so funny because the first year she pushed out Viola Davis and Danielle Deadweiler. And then what if she pushed out Lily Gladstone? Like, can you imagine? They would literally throw her out of the Academy if that happened. You know, they really made a mistake last year by saying this is like... um... Uh, misogynoir, I think it was called, uh, was the yeah. term, you know, you're not voting for women of color because they're women of color. And I this know. is the, you know, the people that were pushing, um, uh, you know, what's her name uh, for, uh, uh, oh, God, goodness. you know, the, 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 um, uh, it's, sorry, it just went away. It'll come oh, back. But right. anyway, I remember that whole thing. And um, that doesn't, that's really not a good look to be uh, accusing people of being, uh, dis- dismissive of, of of actors of color just because their actions are color. It's really, that's kind of mm-hmm. awful, actually. You know. Well. But there's. Um, but if I'll tell you, if Angelou Ellis were to surprisingly become a nominee, I think that would be pretty amazing. And I, I have obviously nothing to say uh, at all because dilettante that I am, I haven't even seen. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, origin. So I will. I mean, I intended to. I, I keep not doing it, but I will. So let's. I mean, if it happens, it would be astonishing. Be astonishing. I don't think it will, but you know, happen. Um, you don't have any feelings about that? About Ingenue Ellis Taylor getting in? Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I do have feelings about about. that. I do have feelings about that because the movie has very mixed reviews, and uh, it was it it isn't even being released until the nineteenth, and I find it to be um, sort of strange that you know they're calling upon celebrities to make this happen. Just like I thought it was strange, you didn't, but I did. With Andrea Mm -hmm. Riseborough, I don't think it's fair. That's what I was trying to think of. I'm sorry, her name. Hated, yeah, it, I don't think it's fair personally, and and I I don't like that they think that they can wokeify or you know make equitable the the awards with their um, backroom deals. And listen, if that's what they want to do, they should just end the Oscars, just end mm-hmm. them. You don't have to have the Oscar race. Just don't even have it. Just hand out awards certificates to people, you know, to make it fair and equitable then don't worry about a contest, right? Because if it, a contest is all, you know, all these women that, ha- that that do the circuit, that give the interviews, that give the performances, that earn the notices. And then if you're somebody that nobody's paying attention to, but you happen to have friends in high places that can get you in, I, I'm not a fan of that personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't like that. I thought, you know, Andrea Riseborough was good. She was fine. I didn't think she was better than the people that she knocked out. Um, you know, not particularly, but you know, it doesn't really matter that much because if, if she gets in, you know, at least, at least, uh, I I don't have anything I can really add to that except for who's she going to knock out. She's going to knock out Annette Benning, She's going to knock out Sandra Huller, or she's going to knock out, um, Barbie, Margot Robbie. That's not going to happen. Those three are not. I mean, I would be delighted if, because uh, I thought. Well, you, you're really saying good. it's not going to happen about every every single one of these 
Best Actress Contenders. Yeah. Lily Gladstone, Annette Bening, Margot Robbie, Sandra Huller, and then who's the fifth? Who am I missing here? I don't know. I don't either. Um, But I'm just saying, like, if it's, you know, let's see, what what are the SAG nominees? Um, uh, I'll log into my Gold Derby right now and see what this is here. Okay. Oscar nominations by experts. Let's look at Best mm-hmm. Actress. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. In my book, it would be Carrie Mulligan and and, and Carrie Emma. Mulligan. That's the other one I forgot. So you have to tell me which one do you want to knock out to put in on Janu Ellis. Well, if it had to be, uh, yeah, okay. If it if it were to happen, it would probably be the vulnerable person would be Annette Bening, I guess. She would be the vulnerable one. Yes, you're right. Anne Thompson right now has. Remember when she had Lily Gladstone at the bottom? Now she's got Lily Gladstone at the top. Right. She has, of course. Yeah. Lily Gladstone, Emma Stone, Carrie Mulligan, Margot Robbie, and Sandra Huller. Mm-hmm. So those are her five. So if you want to get Ingenue in, you have to drop one of those five. And that's right. not even including Annette Benning. Can you remember approximately when it was that Ann Thompson had uh, Lily Gladstone at the bottom, at the at fifth place in her estimation? You, you put it a, in your you put it on your site. You wrote a story about it. I'm trying to remember. That's why I'm asking you. I don't remember. Was it, um, you know, sometime in, you know, mid fall or something uh, before? I don't actually remember. Opened? Okay. No, I just remember you wrote a story about it. I don't remember when it was. Um, okay. But anyway, so she's changed it. And, uh, and nobody on here has Ingenue Ellis Taylor predicted to get in. Nobody mm-hmm. on this on this uh, gold derby list. Mm-hmm. So so the reason that. we're mentioning it is because there was a very nice uh, um, uh, big party thrown for Angela Ellis and, and, and for Origin. Uh, Colleen Camp, who throws these nice parties where all the all the beautiful people attend, th- that happened about a week ago, roughly. And, uh, and uh, Francis Fisher was one of them. And uh, there was a lot of love for the film because they had, you know, shown it at screening room somewhere before everybody went to the party so that's the that's where some of the activity the interest the support is coming from because you know a community got together and says you know what are we doing we we should be respectful of this film and it really is not just some kind of you know okay film it's pretty good it's excellent uh, i was told uh, so you know again bad on me for not seeing it yet but i i will see it and yeah i know get you I totally get you on that. Um, let's try to let's try to ratchet this up because I know as soon as we're done, you're going to say that was a really low energy podcast. 